G'day Team Health Tech. Back on the 11th of August of this year, we went live across LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook in another one of our live discussions with a member of the THT Plus community. And this one was with Steve Locke from CELO. And the topics we covered in that session were awesome. The engagement from the session was really good. And at the end of it, I thought, hey, this would make for a really neat podcast episode just for you. So you could go on to the Talking Health Tech LinkedIn page and follow us while you're there, by the way. But you could go on a LinkedIn page and watch the video from this session. And that's cool. But you know what? You're listening to the podcast right now and you might be doing something else. You might be in transit, doing some chores or in some other way preoccupied. And the chances of you sitting down and watching the entire video in its entirety could be pretty low. So if this sounds like you, then this episode is for you. So in this chat with Steve Locke from CELO, we explore a good range of topics, everywhere from shadow IT, change management in healthcare, and the best approaches to introduce innovation. The importance of having real-world clinical experience when creating technology solutions in healthcare. We also talked about the decentralization of the hospital experience, and also the importance of identifying a problem before you create a solution, and lots more too. So let's have a listen, shall we? Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. How are you doing, guys? Peter Birch here. This is Talking Health Tech. We're doing another live stream. So we're coming to you live from LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. You can watch us on all three. Hopefully you've got a little notification and you're watching us either across Australia or in New Zealand or in the UK. We're in this kind of gap where anyone at any one point in time could be watching live. So make sure you send a comment. So you put a comment in when you're watching on LinkedIn or YouTube or Facebook so that we know you're there and you can determine the nature of the conversation and which way we go tonight. So we're going to go for the next hour and we've got a special guest. We'd like to bring someone on and have a chat and I will bring him on in a second. We're going to be joined by Steve Rock from CELO. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Good, Pete. How are you? Really good, mate. Thanks for coming on. It's going to be a good chat. We had the unnecessarily anxiety brutal countdown this to really GS up for our evening, but it's a bit later in the evening for New Zealand as well, right? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. I've had my dinner. So I'm ready to roll and thanks ready for having me on the show. Nice one, nice one. We've got some people checking it out across all different platforms. And I'm not sure if you've seen on these lives before, Steve. We do some fun. We have a wheel that we spin and have different things that we talk about. But it's going to be a pretty easygoing conversation that can really be driven by whatever people want to talk about. But firstly, I thought maybe for those that don't know CELO, you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and also what you so maybe just start off with yourself a little. Yeah, perfect. CELO is a secure messenger built for healthcare. We solve the main problem of tools like WhatsApp, SMS, unsecure consumer tools that have crept their way into the healthcare setting. And we provide an easy to use, compliant and secure alternative. And we have either a free offering, so any healthcare team can just get started and switch to us instead of using tools like WhatsApp. And then we've got an enterprise offering that is a lot more integrated and plugs into the existing systems, for example, an EMR in a big hospital. So that's CELO in a nutshell, been around for four or five years now and over the last year we was in new zealand and aussie up until start of this year and we're now in 13 countries we've 
five times our daily active users in the last six months. And we're just about to launch in the US. So it's really exciting to be on the show and yeah, really keen to get, get into some nitty gritty and talk some health tech. Yeah, nice one, man. It's, it sounds like it's been a busy time. It'd be good to get, because we've got the video going now and essentially, you know, when we chat on the podcast, we can't look at anything, but we can actually look at what's going on with CLO and actually get a bit more of a feel for what it is. So tell us a bit more about, so like for replacement for WhatsApp, is that what we're going for? Is it? Yeah. So what we found back when we started the business, yeah, my girlfriend at the time, Jess was a plastics registrar, quite junior at the time. And but what they found is often they would turn to tools like WhatsApp to chat about patients and their team. And it was really not for wanting to, to do the wrong thing, but really because there was a lack of better alternatives that suited their needs. And I guess naively at the time we thought, hey, how hard could it be to create a compliant and secure alternative? And here we are five years later with a tool that is now accredited and compliant globally, fit for purpose for healthcare. But our biggest strength is probably just how super easy it is to set up and start to use. So no training required, really hard for teams just to ditch WhatsApp. And our biggest attribute is just how sticky and the high, high utility value that it has from day one. Yeah. It's almost jarring seeing something that looks so nice in healthcare. <laughs> it's a bit of an indictment on healthcare technology generally, but it's looking pretty clean. So that, I guess it needs to be for something to be picked up and just used by, by people on the go. Yeah. Thanks. There's a lot of consumer look and feel to it. We look at tools like Slack, Zoom, WhatsApp. Messenger, all these tools that people are just used to in their day to day. And if you're not going to be an equivalent to use or better, I think that's where the uptake really struggles. Yeah. Let's delve into some of the important topics for this evening. And last time we did this, rather than just deciding what to talk about, we used the trusty wheel of names. And remember, if you're watching live, you can certainly let us know any topics that you want to talk about and themes or things that you think we should talk about in this session today. But I'm really in to chuck a few things on here. Firstly, I wanted to pull on this whole approach of shadow IT. We talked a little bit before about that and the concept of bring your own device. And just thinking about what you said before about getting people to use a solution, I think that good topics to talk about change management and healthcare, introducing Asian language. And then for all about virtual hospitals at the moment, so we'll put that all. Anyone else? We've got a last minute or two before we spin the wheel. And so what we'll do here is spin the wheel and then that'll choose what we're going to talk about. And we can always add things on. So we might get it going now and then we can start the conversation. Hey, Bern, I can see Robert's in the community as well. We'll show he's on there in a second. We're going to talk about change management. Oh, and there's a fan for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And you know the fan thing about when they look at the number. It's a nice and unnecessary thing to go. I want to hide on the screen. Okay. So change management. I'm curious, Steve, in terms of change management generally in healthcare, we talk about it often on the show. It's a bit of an inhibitor for what people would implement in new technology. What are your experience? Overall, in new technologies or innovations in health are faced with a really complex ecosystem, right? So you've got these massive hospitals with thousands of staff and I guess a lot of complicated systems and existing stuff that's sort of sitting there alongside all these new tools that get introduced. And then you've got a really complex management structure as well, right? You've got this executive team and then you've got your clinicians. And I think it's getting better in, in terms of the clinical end users being involved in some of the decision-making early on in the procurement process. But even at the end of the day, when you've got a license that's rolled out or you've got the solution that enters the workplace, sometimes it feels a little bit like it starts at the solution rather than the problem at, at play. 
And what we found is that obviously there's a problem, right? Like this is a global problem. A lot of studies have been done recently. One British Medical Journal did a study around how instant messengers creep their way into a healthcare setting. And what we find is that the change management process that we find really successful is that when there's a a clinical leader or a champion amongst the team that decide this is something they're going to get behind. And usually it's got to be someone that's influential and respected within the organization. That's got to be underpinned by executive support. It's really difficult when you don't have both. And I guess from our specific example is we found the clinical influence the most important. So for us, even in departments, when potentially the executive team at the top of a hospital might not be behind a yet, or they might not have gone down the enterprise, we find departments still use our free version. They show the utility value of the tool, and then that very quickly propagates up the food chain to where it can make some of the whole system differences, especially when it starts to integrate into the existing systems. But yeah, I guess in terms of lessons from us, it's clinical influences and executive support and having both of those change management is actually pretty easy to achieve, but you've got to have the key clinical and executive stakeholders behind the project. Yeah, I think that covers on a few of those points before. Robert raised a question that I think you spoke to before, which was around how it integrates with all the other solutions. So does it tie in with all the big systems? Great question. So I'll talk about Celo Enterprise. So in this instance, we're really proud of our interoperability that we've achieved. So we've got HL7 integration and we've got Fire integration. And for those that are new to Fire, it's basically a RESTful API with some specific structure that's specific to healthcare around how data gets injected from different systems and outstructures so it could be interpreted and pushed and pulled between something like Celo and an electronic health record. But that's sometimes difficult to achieve in a complex health system. So what we find is because we're a SaaS product, we just got a specific data structure. So for example, we talked about images and short videos. We can take an image within Celo. We look up the patient from another system somewhere else and ideally it's through the fire feed. And we can say, okay, this patient's Mickey Mouse, ABC1234. We can assign and tag that against the photo. And then we can push that same photo to the clinical record. And then it can be stored there, which is the source of truth. So Celo is not an electronic medical record replacement. It's purely a collaboration tool that mm. can sit on top of that layer and I guess empower the clinical record, so to speak. Yeah, it's because otherwise it kind of just happens anywhere, right? Like that's the whole point is like you said, they'll go to WhatsApp anyway or they'll go to something else and may as well do something that can tie in if the group decides. Yeah, cool. All right, so we're going to spin the wheel because there's a couple of topics that you mentioned there which will probably come up on the wheel. Let's do that. By the way, guys, if you're just joining, we're doing a live stream chat. We like to be able to chat with somebody from within the Talking Health Tech community, explore their product a little bit, but also some of the key topics and themes that are pertinent given what they've talked about. We've got a few things on the wheel here. We've got shadow IT, virtual hospitals, clinical experience and problem first and solutions later. Some of those things we kind of touched on before, but we'll spin the wheel. If there's anything else you want to talk about, please put it on or just comment in whatever platform you're on, YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn. We're straddling here. Shadow IT. The concept of shadow IT, Steve, some people might not be totally familiar with shadow IT. Tell us a little bit more about what that is exactly. My understanding of it anyway is when people within an organization or a team have a problem that they're faced with and they may not have the tools within the organization that directly solves their problem and they go out and they start to look for solutions themselves. And WhatsApp's a great example of that. Comms in a hospital is sometimes really tricky to achieve. There's a combination of paging, faxing, email, an on-call phone that's probably five years old and 
is passed around like a baton. And sometimes all you want to do is communicate with people like you do in your normal lives. You're used to using Messenger, you're used to using Facebook, you're used to using WhatsApp to chat with your friends and family. So when it comes to your healthcare team, it's bang on. You're going to go to the tools that work for you. But obviously shadow IT can present a whole lot of issues or challenges to the organization, right? Like you've got all these tools that can be deemed as unsolicited floating around the organization and you have almost no idea or sometimes no idea what's happening out there on the coal face. And mm. that gets extremely complicated. I was overhearing an audit recently in one of the health systems here in New Zealand and they have thousands of software solutions throughout the hospital, some sanctioned, some unsanctioned. And yeah, I'm glad that's not my job to tidy all that up, but yeah. it's, it happens because it's these gaps that people start to fill themselves. As long as it makes their lives easier or their day-to-day easier, then they're going to go out and find the solutions that work for them. Yeah. I remember in the earlier days of working in larger enterprises where it felt like it was at a point where IT departments were almost, it was okay enough to just assume that they weren't penetrating to everyday corporate life. This is outside of healthcare too, just generally like that was when Blackberries are being used and I was so quick at typing on a Blackberry, like the tiny keyboards and the concept of using an iPhone in like a business sense just seemed weird to do. And then as they came in, I think that's when IT departments and CTOs, not even in healthcare, just everywhere was kind of like, well, there's no point trying to defend this anymore. How do we then incorporate those in? And I think when Apple became more secure and everything as well, it was kind of appropriate. So healthcare generally follows everything else sometimes. So maybe that's the way that healthcare is going over time. Yeah. Is it different across Australia and New Zealand or other parts of the world? Is it pretty consistent everywhere that we found? When I think specifically about our customers, usually they come to us with a problem of, hey, we have all this SMSing and WhatsApping and stuff happening across our organization. Mm-hmm. And usually the story is the same. They know it's a problem. Sometimes it's been too hard to solve or they're worried about what happens when they just say, okay, you can't do it. Yeah. So that's the problem statement. But what we find is that Generally, they're really keen to make a change if it means that it's going to work or if they know the solution that's going to replace it is, is going to work for the staff. But it's not limited to New Zealand and Australia. I guess the only thing that we have here is specifically to our product, there's a lot less compelling reason or legislation in NZ and Aussie around, okay, what is the reason to change? There's some severe penalties, but a lot of the time they're not enforced. And if we look at the UK as an example, the NHS boldly put out a statement and WhatsApp is banned and they did that back in March 2020. And if you ask the organizations or the state policymakers in Australia and New Zealand, they really shy away from answering those big questions. And I guess because of that, shadow IT is probably more prevalent in ANZ or in our area anyway. Yeah. It's funny when you ask people about shadow IT, it's kind of one of those things where it's a really good question. And so a lot of people are aware that it's a really good question. So that's where we're at right now. We've identified it. And then it's the how to solve it. I think that's going to be the next thing. So yeah, I think there's definitely more we can do as an industry in terms of looking at it because it impacts everyone from vendors to providers. And it's something too that making sure that it's all in our best interest, that systems are secure and that everything's controlled too. So there's a good way forward. So it's an interesting one to, a compelling one to think about too. We're going to spin the wheel again and then see what topics are there to discuss. Thanks, John, for chipping in before. Hey, Athene, who's watching. Robert, thanks for staying on. And Bernie as well. If there's anyone else that's joined us live, make sure you say hi. We're talking about anything really that's relating to health tech and technology. It's Steve Lott from CELO has joined us on Talking Health Tech, doing a live stream across YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn. And now we're going to talk about 
solutions that put the problem first and then the solution later. I put this on because we talked about this before, Steve, and you touched on it in something that you said earlier. There's a lot of solutions within healthcare generally, and I guess any industry too, that kind of go the other way around. Yeah. So what's your experiences? It's easy as a development team or a tech company. I've got a great engineering team and it's easy for us to get really excited about new tech, more things that are exciting. And we sometimes see in a hospital setting even that people get really excited by new digital innovation and they say, oh, look at this cool solution. And they think, okay, like where are all the places we can apply this solution? Uh, Let's think of some use cases. And what we find with that approach generally is that the use case, when you try and fit a use case to the solution or to the technology, it's normally not a great match. In some cases, you might get lucky, but if you turn that question around and you start to look at the problem, you define the problem really, really well, and you talk to the people that are actually facing the problem. So for example, in our vertical, it's the clinicians that are talking to each other day in, day out about their patients, either within the four walls of a hospital or across organizational boundaries that find that really hard to do sometimes. How do I get in touch with the right person at the right time? And then try and work out their biggest pain points and then build a solution around that and try and solve real problems from day one. And that's definitely where we found most of our successes from solving real pain points. And sometimes they're really simple pain points, right? Like taking a photograph of a patient using your own smartphone, getting consent by signing on the glass to get consent around how that image is shared and used. Seems like a really complicated problem to solve, but it's not really. You've got a very good camera on your phone. Most Mm. doctors like to have the latest and greatest phone, of course, and so they can take a high quality image. And then we do the hard work behind the scenes to say, okay, let's keep that photo safe and keep it separate from all our holiday photos and all the other things that happen on our phones. And then make it easy to just press a button and push it into the clinical record so that another clinician, you know, six months later can see that episode of care. So yeah, I guess for us, it's always been about identifying problem first and figuring out a solution around it. And I think sometimes a shiny new technology can get in the way of solving real problems and you can get really excited about new fancy tech and think, okay, well, let's find some use cases. Yeah, That's my experience on it anyway. I've seen them as well. Sometimes, particularly in early stage, there's innovative or emerging technology. It's like, hey, this can be applied to healthcare. I don't know the exact use case, but there's something there. And so it takes time to build things and the time happens, but that requires investment too and people. And and then over time, you've created something and you've had your head down for 12 months developing and utilizing this tool. And then you get your head up and go, hey, what did we end up with? As opposed to going the other way around, which is working with a clinician. I've seen examples where a non-clinical team built something where they've received a problem in a GP setting where it's like, hey, it would be great if we could do online appointments. And then they would go and build a bespoke kind of online appointment capability within their particular product. And during that time, a lot happens in the market. There's other people come in and they do it. And so by the time they've finished building something, it's already changed. So I think the important lesson out of that process is working with clinicians along the way, not just finding out the problem and then build the crap out of it and then come up and surface for air. It's that continuous improvement throughout the process. Yeah, I think that's bang on. A touch on clinicians being involved in the process throughout that life cycle. And I think sometimes the meaning of that clinician is important too. You know, it's someone that actually is actively involved in looking after patients or is involved in that particular care circle as an example. Sometimes I think there can be 
a clinical stakeholder that may be a little bit out of touch, I guess. I saw here, it's someone's put here, sometimes LinkedIn hides who the person is, but they've certainly raised that same point of like the, the family photos with the clinical photos and the skin lesions with the pictures of Santa. That's a pretty regular thing in healthcare, that's for sure. That's an interesting question from Bern. I'm not sure if there's been any examples of fines or misuse of clinical photography. I'm not aware of anything off the top of my head, Steve. Yeah, so in Australia and New Zealand, they do a really good job of bearing that stuff. And hats off to the PR teams within the hospitals, but that doesn't really fly in some of our more regulated markets like UK and EU with GDPR and, and for example, US with HIPAA. But I did hear about a recent case and please, if you're in the comments or you're watching this, set me right if I've got my details wrong. But I know there was a case in the Brisbane area where an email was hacked and that was sending patient images between email and mm. Those images ended up in the wrong hands and they did put out a statement about it. The hospital did put out a statement, but you really have to go looking for it on their website. And the requirements in Australia is you've got to make a statement to the press or the public and inform them, but it's buried in the 10th menu on the 10th page. And then there's a very small statement about it happening. And I guess the short answer is it's more of a slap on the wrist, acknowledge it, and then it's not a fine, but that is changing. Like in Australia, the penalties for corporations is... $2.1 million for an organization. And I think it's from memory, it's about 420K for an individual. In New Zealand, it's 350,000, which is in line with Privacy Act and the Health and Disability Commissioner Act. And then in the EU, 20 million euros or 4% of turnover, whatever's the biggest of that amount. And then in the US where penalties are handed out left, right and center, the average HIPAA breach amount for a health system is $350 million a year. You know what? I'm blown away by two things. The fact that those numbers are quite high and that's quite suck, but also the fact that you knew that off the top of your head is ridiculous. <laughs> I think it's an important issue to be confident. <laughs> Obviously, it's our game, right? Like it's it's our space. We need to know little details. Yeah. Well, it's such an important point, right? And to the point around what moves the needle and change. And I guess if it's not going to be about functionality, if it's a financial impact on businesses, that's what it is. But whatever motivates change, I guess. And in the end, if it results in better patient safety, more security and all those things that we're all working towards, then that's a good thing. I think we touched on some of these before and actually there's two left. So if there's anyone else that wants to add anything to the wheel, otherwise we'll just talk about one. Let's talk about, I think we touched on this a fair bit on if there was anything else to add on the clinical experience, just generally from my thoughts and I will throw back over to you to add anything else. But that's always been my on things. I'm not clinical by background, but that's what I've enjoyed and am passionate about in terms of working in healthcare is solving problems with clinicians where they know it hands-on. I know some very intelligent clinicians who are like the triple threat who can do business and clinical and code as well. But I think being able to partner and have different perspectives and work alongside clinical people, whether that is the doctors who are GP or specialist or in the allied space and dental, whatever their area of care is, it's critical because they're the end users of solutions. Sometimes I feel like that's a no-brainer, but I see so many solutions that are built and then presented to clinicians, which is, it just blows my mind a little. Yeah, I think you're bang on that one, Pete. I guess if I talk about our experience with involving clinical users from the beginning and throughout the life cycle, for a bit of background, I grew up in a healthcare family. So got a dad as a GP, my sister's a doctor. I talked about my girlfriend, who's now, now my wife, who's a doctor. And they're the first to tell me when CELO isn't working for them 
or in the early days when it maybe didn't suit all their needs. And so listening to that feedback, even from family, is a really good place to start because they're working in a healthcare setting every single day. And I think for us, if we're not meeting the needs early on, then we've got it wrong. Hmm. And I guess from a DHB or an LHD point of view, what we often see is that in some of the clinical leadership roles, that the people involved in those roles, like some organizations, it's really awesome and they're actively involved in clinical practice. And so they're kind of at that cold face. They represent the voice accurately of the users that have these problems. And so the solutions are built around accurate information. But sometimes you might end up with a clinical leader that is maybe not actively practicing anymore and they're a little bit out of touch. They might not know when the registrar is starting their ward around, what time are they starting? You know, they're so busy there. They're not doing the eight hour days, which are in the contract. They're doing more like 12 hour days and they're expected to be in four places at the same time. It's always a surprise to me when some of these leaders don't know what's happening amongst the junior ranks. And I don't think it's because they're ignorant to it. I think they just don't Mm. spend enough time actually on the ward or with the patients or in the clinic or in the theater listening to the real problems. And I think that's probably the part where I would jump at the chance to be in a surgical theater and listen to the problems. Obviously that's a bit harder, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. talking to the people that are there is obviously second best. And so we try and do that as much as we can. Yeah. And these things move, don't they? It's one thing to have experienced it and then be in a clinical role for a while and then move into an executive role and work in there for a long time. And you're still drawing on experiences from five years ago, which is what you're saying there. More clinicians than not that I know, they, not just because it's nice to do, but because they want to, they always do like one day a week clinical or they try and remain with their finger on the pulse. And that's a consistent theme I've always heard from clinicians across any kind of discipline is that that's really important to them. And that makes so much sense as to why. So, yeah. A scene's put in the chat a question, does CELO need to go through clinical safety accreditation in the UK? Great question. Short answer is yes. Longer answer is there's quite a few accreditations in each region. So if I talk about UK specifically, they've got a few different requirements. So there's the main sort of framework for them is the DSP toolkit, it's called, which is a data security protection toolkit, which every software vendor that handles patient health information has to go through that process annually and talk about how they keep that data safe. And so it's privacy policies, it looks at the three main types of how do you keep data safe, so administrative, physical, technical. The next part is, there's also what they call the G Cloud framework, which is a government framework, which helps government businesses buy uh, cloud or software as a service products. So we went through accreditation process to be on that panel. And we've been on that for two years now, which is another box that we have to tick to present ourselves as a trusted and accredited government product. And then the UK has been really good as well. They've also got the NHS apps library, which had a little bit of a hiatus during COVID. They didn't have enough resource to keep that running. But there's also another firm called Orca, which is like a medical specific or healthcare specific app reviewer. And so we went through the process there too, where they look at the security and privacy controls around how we keep data safe as well. And I think I mentioned before, we're just about to launch in the US and the US regulation, which is HIPAA and HITECH Act, is even more stringent. So they actually have an assessor that comes in and assesses the tool around those three things, technical, administrative and physical safeguards, as opposed to it just being a framework or a self-assessment or a declaration. Launching in the US and really expanding in the UK particularly over the past 12 to 18 months, 
I'm going to hazard a guess and say there's not been a great opportunity to do a lot of travel in the US and the UK over this period of time. How have you found that whole process of scaling out the business from the other side of the world? Yeah, so it's been a bit strange for me, to be honest. It's probably the same for a lot of people on the stream, but I was on a plane every second week, did a lot of travel, and that's how I actually sold. And to be honest, a lot of the relationship selling that we used to do pre-COVID was pretty time consuming, really expensive, especially for a early stage business. And looking back now, it's crazy to think like I'd do a day trip to Sydney from Auckland for one or two meetings. It's been a good excuse to just say, oh, can we Zoom? You know, it's a lot easier just to Zoom quickly. Obviously doesn't replace that face-to-face and um, learning a little bit more about what's happening on the ground. And yeah, seeing Bernie's comment in the chat, it is free to roam. That's definitely true. Maybe we're not utilizing as much as we should. Just called us out on that one. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I guess it's been weirdly a good time to try and launch and we're up to 13 countries now within six months. And I would have definitely racked up a lot of air miles. It would have been pretty cool to go visit them all, but I don't know how efficient that would have been. And I think because it's a highly scalable cloud-based solution, it's been quite easy to do it from here. Obviously, there's some time zone issues and support we have to think about. In some of those key markets, we are starting to build teams on the ground in those key markets. But our engineering team is all run out of New Zealand still. Love it. We might close on Tom's question, which was what's going to excite you about the future of CELO. But the last discussion point that we had on the wheel was about virtual hospitals. And I wanted to talk about this one because touching on the whole trend of COVID transforming how healthcare is delivered or impacting how healthcare is delivered. It's impacted the hospital setting where the bricks and mortar isn't necessarily where all of the healthcare is delivered. So when I would think of a solution like CELO, I would, a couple of years ago, would have pictured it as being the comms tool that's used within the hospital. But obviously now I would picture it as something that's used anywhere relating to healthcare, which is responsible by a hospital, but could be delivered anyway. Yeah. So what we're seeing a lot more of and no doubt a lot of the viewers on the stream would be across a lot of this activity is that moving forward, most of the healthcare is starting to happen or needs to happen outside of a hospital setting, right? Preventative medicine, precision medicine, advancing the way we look after people before they even make it to the hospital and thinking about how do we get them out of hospital sooner? How do we get them back into their homes or back into the community and looked after? Making sure during that journey, they're still connected to that care team. So for example, Let's think about a surgical journey for a patient. Might go through their GP or primary care facility, get referred to a surgeon for some sort of elective procedure. They had that, maybe they're in hospital for a little bit, and then they're discharged back out in the community and then they're under the care of their community team, which might include their GP and district nursing or some other community caregivers. Might even involve support workers. If it's, you know, sort of rehab work or something like that, maybe there's even some physio involved. And so we see... At the moment, when you're not using something like CELO, there's a lot of barriers to how this team during this entire life cycle talk to each other. And CELO is, in, I guess, from one of the, I guess, a differentiator from a tool that might just be put into a hospital setting. The communication kind of ends when you leave that building or into that building, it starts. And so mm. with the CELO product, we help break those organizational boundaries down no matter where you go as a clinician, you always have your CELO profile and you can have multiple roles and multiple workplaces. So then for that patient that's going through the surgical journey from GP to hospital back out into community, 
then Kai care team can stay up to date all the time. So the community nurse can say, hey, Mr. Surgeon, we're looking at this wound of Mr. Jones and it's not looking like it's getting better. Can you take a photo and send it to me? How's it looking? Oh, okay, maybe they need a course of antibiotics or we need to change the antibiotics they're on. And we're doing that really quickly as opposed to in the past where maybe the wound's getting bad and it's not picked up until maybe three days later when they're due to go to the clinic. And then by that point, it's really infected and then it might involve readmission to the hospital. And then you go back to this old setting, which is the care is taking place in the hospital again. So yeah. that's our long-term vision is how do we make this journey throughout the cycle better? And that's coming into the more of the chill, I guess, virtual healthcare space. Yeah, that goes well beyond the concept of just doing virtual hospital because of reducing potential COVID interactions and everything. This is the whole life cycle of a patient and like you say, the preventity of healthcare right through to treatment and post-op and everything. So that healthcare journey requires comms across so many different stakeholders, right? Yeah, it'd be good to see how you guys can play into that whole process over a longer period of time. Comes in nicely to what might close us out of the conversation, but always open to other questions that people might want to write live. Let's chat for a little bit about what you're focusing on for the future. Steve, what's exciting you about the future of CELO? What we've seen in the last six months with the growth we've had is more than ever, and maybe COVID helped accelerate a little bit of this thinking, is that the timing is better than ever. People are really adopting the product and there's a lot of organic spread. And a lot of health systems, it's become the go-to tool to communicate. The really next exciting thing for us too is moving into the US market. It's a highly, highly regulated environment, HIPAA and high tech, extremely strict regulations that the penalties are super, super severe. So there's that sense that the market is really well educated already. So rather than what we found maybe, you know, a year or two ago in New Zealand and Australia particularly is we would go in and we would actually have to educate the buyer you've got a problem in your hospital and they say, we've had some pretty crazy answers. Oh, what are you talking about? Like doctors don't use their own phones at work. And it's like, okay. And so how do you then sell a solution for something that is potentially not a problem in their hospital? So yeah, US is super, super exciting. And we're starting to build out the team and bringing on some institutional investment in the next 12 months, which is going to help us double down on product and growth and marketing activity as well. Love it. Hey, just lastly as well, Steve, we'll be doing a session at the Talk at Health Tech Spring Summit in September. We'll be announcing the lineup for that soon, but a bit of a spoiler alert, there'll be CeeLo and others that will be featured in that session. So likely we'll cover some of these topics and themes that we talked about this evening, but probably with a broader panel. What are some of those key themes or issues that you think as a broader industry we need to be thinking about and progressing further? Some that we've probably already talked about, but are there some that really kind of stand out to you that as an industry we need to push further? Probably the biggest pain point that most early stage innovators face is the procurement life cycle or ability to implement a new innovation at scale within a health system. So health systems, particularly publicly funded, like I'm talking UK, Australia, New Zealand are really good at doing pilots. Like, hey, cool new tech that solves this real use problem that we have, let's pilot it. And then we choose a couple of departments or maybe we get lucky and choose a whole hospital and we pilot it. And it works really well. It's successful. Everyone loves it. It's sticky. It has real outcomes. And then they go to, okay, well, they move to another hospital and why don't we have this tool here? And it's, oh, it's, we've got to procure it. And they might go to RFP. And then when it goes to RFP, all these new feature and requirements start to creep in. And then you end up with this RFP that tries to solve everything. And we see that more and more, right? 
it's easy to say, okay, let's solve communication. Oh, while we're doing that, why not solve all these other things at the same time? And then you end up with the solution that's meant to do everything. And what we've learned so far is if you work on something that is in your lane and you do it really, really well, the adoption's really great. WhatsApp is a messaging tool. Silo is a messaging tool. We don't try and do everything because usually if you try and do everything, you do it averagely as opposed to having a solution that works really, really well for that one problem. So I think the challenge to the publicly funded health systems is how do they break down those barriers and move away from this pilot environment to actually rolling things out at scale and trusting these new SaaS-backed cloud products that are able to be scaled. We could turn on Celo for the whole of the Australian health system tomorrow and it would be super cost-effective and everyone could be on it. But in reality, that's very difficult to achieve. <laughs> Look, mate, I can't wait to discuss some of these things and more later at the Spring Summit and I'm sure in future episodes of the podcast look more engaging, interactive sessions like this. So look, I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you everyone who's attended live and contributed to the conversation. And of course, the videos here to watch on LinkedIn or on YouTube or on Facebook, they're the recording. So if you've missed it and you just joined, then go back and watch it now. So Steve, look, good luck with everything you're doing in the future. And thanks so much for joining. Lastly, for anyone that wants to check out more, they just go to CLA Health. Is that the best way? Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Pete. And yeah, to the audience, thanks very much for your participation. And yeah, reach out if you've got any questions or dare I say it, get started on a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> get finally No pilots, just go live straight away. <laughs> Love it, mate. Thank you so much. Okay, cheers, Pete. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.